Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide and lead us, as show us what you would want us to see from the from your scriptures, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 6. We've been continuing God's condemnation of his people, the telling of what's happening. Uh, we're going to be in verse 18. Therefore hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil among this, upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. To what purpose come, come to me incense from Sheba and sweet cane from the far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall upon them, and the neighbor and his friend shall perish. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people comes from the north country, a great nation shall be raised up from the sides of the earth. And they shall lay hold on bow and spear, they are cruel and have no mercy, their voices roar like the sea, and they ride upon horses set in array as men of war against you, O daughter of Zion." Let's stop there. We have, we have heard the fame thereof. Our hands wax feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us. And pain as a woman in travail. Go not forth into the field, nor walk by the way. For the sword of your enemy and the fear is on every side. So here is God saying, and it's interesting. He says, hear, O nations. So his condemnation is not just to the people. He's saying, I want all nations to know what's coming. And it's kind of interesting because the Jewish people never saw God caring about the Gentiles. And yet all through the scripture God speaks to the Gentiles and tries to get Gentiles attention on everything that he's doing. He attacked, he, the plagues on Egypt grabbed the Gentiles attention so that when the children of Israel crossed into the Jordan, Rahab, if you remember, told them 40 years after the time of Egypt, we know how powerful your God is and we are in terror of your God. And we see this over and over that God is trying to reach all people. And yet the Gentiles, uh, the Jews never really accepted that the Gentiles were loved by God. And God is saying, hear, O nations, listen to what I'm going to do to my people that are rejecting me. And this has a point to it. They're going to hear this and go, if God will do this to his people, what will he do to us that aren't his people? And this is the point that's trying to be made. God should be lifted up in front of people so that they will be able to say, wow, if God's going to be like this with his people, what is in store for us? And then he goes, and know, O congregation, what is among them. The, when he talks about the congregation, he's talking about his people. All right? Hear, O nations, and hear and know the congregation, my people. Now, his people were not listening to him. They weren't following him. They were following after idols. But God is still speaking to them as if they belong to him because they did. His promise to Abraham was that 
your seed will always be blessed. And the good news for Israel is that that was an unconditional blessing. God did not say, Abraham, as long as your children obey me, they will be blessed. He says, they will be blessed. During this time of Jeremiah, they're getting ready to go into, into, into uh, captivity. God still gives them a promise through Isaiah that they're only going to be in captivity for 70 years. So that when they leave, they're going, okay, we, only, we know that we're only going to be there for 70 years, one, one generation, two generations. And when Rome destroys them and they go into captivity, there was no time limit given, but they're going, Jerusalem will be given back to you. And they knew that they would be coming back at some point, or at least hope to because they don't know the scriptures. But they could have known that they were coming back. And now we know that they are back. And this is the beautiful thing about it. Even in today's Israel, Israel is not as a whole worshiping God. Most of them are atheists. Uh, they go, well, you know, and it's very funny because you'll listen to them, on, they'll interview them, and they'll go, yeah, we're living in the land that God gave us, but I don't believe in God. Now you have to listen to them before you get that I don't believe in God part. But they'll tell you this is the land that God gave you, even though they don't believe in God. They're very secular. They're Jewish only by what traditions have given them. You would think so, but they don't. Most of the Jews are not following God. And it's really interesting because the Bible in the scriptures, we find out in the end days that Israel is going to be kind of the center of all kinds of different religious activities. What is Israel today? The center of the Muslim world, the center of the Christian world, and the center of Christian world. And so they all They would not, <laughs> yes, they would because they're, they're quoting their history, but they don't believe in God. And this is where it's really, yeah. it's strange because they will tell you that God gave them the land, we're in the land that God has given us, but they do not believe in God, but they have to they'll use the term God. And when they say it, they're believing it. They're just like most people with this dual way of thinking. You know, and be, we see this all the time in the lost world, especially where people will say one thing and then a minute later say something diametrically opposed to what they said in the first place. And for the, yeah, that happens all the time. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe there's a God that caused me, but will you pray for me? Uh, okay. Which do you believe? Do you believe there's a God or not? Why should I be praying for you? And what God should I be praying to if you don't believe in God? But this is the problem that we have in our world right now, that people are schizophrenic in their belief systems. And the Jewish people are very schizophrenic. And even in the Old Testament, they were. God, we're following, you know, we're following idols, but man, things are looking bad. We're going to pray to God. Because God has helped us in the past, and we don't believe in this God, but we're going to pray to him because he's helped us and he's made promises to our father Abraham. And that's really the way the Jewish people believe in Israel today. When it's convenient, we believe in God and the God that rescues us and the God that delivers us. We all, many people do it. Many people do it, and some more than others. Uh, we all tend to do it anyway, but 
you know, those who are following after God understand God, trust God more than the world. But the world is very, and just as was said, you know, you know, I don't really believe in God, but hey, would you pray for me so I can get healed or have something good happen to me? And that's kind of the way the Jewish people believe even to this day. And this is how they were believing here. We're worshiping idols, we're following idols. Oh, look, Nebuchadnezzar's coming down on us. We need to pray and ask God, ask God for help. We don't really believe in him. We believe in these other gods, but we'll pray, to, we'll pray to anybody who will help us. And this is the problem that's out there right now. And for the average Jew right now, they're, they're, they tend to be secular and not really believe. They follow more the line of the Sadducees that didn't believe in miracles, didn't believe in a God that helps you, they didn't believe in an afterlife or resurrection. They were just, God's laws are good, we're gonna follow, you know, follow laws, but we really don't believe in God, but these laws in the, in the Bible are really good, and God is supposed to give them to you, so we're gonna claim God gave them to us and, and talk about God as, you know, and how good he can be for us. And that is how so many people are, and sadly, that's how many Christians are. You know, well, when I need you, God, I'll ask you. Yeah, and you know, and many Christians are well. I really believe in God, but I don't believe in him enough to talk to Him and pray to Him and submit my life to Him. But when I need Him, I'll, I'll, I'll expect Him to listen. And this is what's going on here. And God is saying, "Listen, get to know what's going on." And then 19 says, "Hear, O Earth." You know, kind of interesting. Now He's going from from just the nations to and His people to everything. Hear, O Earth. Behold, I will bring evil upon this people. He's going to bring evil on his nation. Now, this is, if you think about this, this is going to be a shocking statement to any Gentile that hears this, that the God of these people has rejected them. And they know this God is a powerful God. It's kind of interesting that they know more about God than the children of Israel know about God, it seems and have more fear of him because he keeps winning battles for so many different kings over the years and they haven't necessarily forgot the history of that God defeating everybody and yet this God is willing to judge his people because of their disobedience and then it goes very interesting even the fruit of their thoughts and this is what Jesus said to us if you have thought in a lustful manner you have committed evil. If you have been angry at a brother without cause, you have committed the act in, in as far as God's concerned. And here, he says, because, uh, even the fruit of their thoughts. Now, in this case, they're evil enough just in their actions. But now he's saying, but your thoughts are as bad. He goes, you're drawing close to me because you desire me to help, but you're not really caring. Your thoughts are far from me. And we need to really understand this, that God is going to give us judgments, you know, if, if, for the lost, for even what they think. All the evil thoughts that they have. And, you know, the good news for us is we're under the blood of Christ or we would be in trouble ourselves. Because I have more thought sins than I do actual sins probably because I have bad thoughts often and you know get angry often with people and it's easy to have a lustful thought cross your mind and yet because of the blood of Christ we're forgiven and he's saying your very thoughts 
are there because you have not hearkened unto my words nor my law but rejected it God says you have not listened to my words and not and worse yet you have not just not listened you have rejected and it's bad enough not really to listen and I, I guess you can't really accept if you don't uh, listen in the first place but God is saying you're not even letting it get into your ears to be to be listened to and you're rejecting it outright and you know, the th sad thing to me is I look around so many Christians that don't apply God's laws they don't either don't know them or don't want to know them don't care about them and I think how many people that name the name of Christ are living together in fornication how many of them are committing adultery how many of them are even in our day and age living in homosexuality and transgenderism and all these different things have idols in their life and don't even think twice about it and you tell them that's not right God calls it sin and they go no nope, don't 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 believe it well are you a Christian oh absolutely I'm a Christian okay how can you be a Christian and not honor the one who you say that you believe I don't understand that now I understand we can't be perfect I'm not trying to say we're gonna be perfect but is our heart to seek after God or is it just lip service God I know you expect this that and the other thing but I'm just gonna do my own thing and I'm just gonna go to heaven because you died for me I have a problem with that I'm not sure that those people are really truly saved that's between them and God ultimately but their thoughts do not follow after God they're rejecting his word and so many churches out there are afraid to call anything sin they're afraid to talk about the blood of Christ they're afraid to talk about Jesus period because that might offend somebody and might might actually change a life and they just won't bring people's thought lives into, into subjection this is why learning God's Word is so important to us learning it and then learning to apply his word to our daily walk because God is saying hey you're not even you're not paying attention to my words and worse yet you're rejecting my words and then he goes into something that makes it a little harder for us necessarily to understand he goes to what purpose come to me the incense from Sheba Sheba and the sweet cane from the far country so in other words he's talking about the and incense were literally the frankincense the frankincense of Sheba and the sweet cane or the uh, reeds and stuff that they burned before God in the temple was the altar of incense and that represented the prayers of the people going up before God and there was a special formula for that oil and the lamps were lit by that oil and God says that was a sweet smell to him and now he's telling the people yeah, for what purpose who cares you know you burn all the incense you want make all the offerings which was the next thing that he says your your burnt offerings are not acceptable he says you're offering sacri you're offering these sacrifices you're burning these incense and I am not paying attention God says they don't mean anything to me in our day it might be God look at all look at all the homeless people I've been feeding look at all the homeless people I've been giving clothes to 
You know, God, look at all the money I'm giving to the church to support missionaries. And God is saying, none of that is acceptable because your heart is far from me. We cannot replace our service to God with gifts to God. Yeah. And this is what a lot of people want to do. God, I don't want to do anything for you, but I'll give you this and I'll give you that. And God is looking down and saying, I don't need your money. I want your heart. Now, maybe you're a rich person, you're a great millionaire, and God says, I want your money because you're willing to give up what is pre precious to you. But for the most of us, he's saying, I just want your service. What are you going to do for me? Now, that doesn't relieve us of giving our tithes and offerings, but it does say it's much more. I can't just go to God, well, God, I gave you my tithe, I'm okay. He's saying, what have you done? And as I've said to everybody, I think God wants a tithe of our time as well as a tithe of our cash, which is very important because how many people give God two and a half hours a day? 16.8 hours a week. Now, many people feel they've given God a lot of time if they come to church for Sunday morning and they show up at 11 o'clock and leave at 12 and don't talk to anybody in between those, the, the hour they're there. And God is saying, I want a minimum of a tithe from you. Now, I think he wants all of us available to him. You know, uh, and I think this is very important, but he's saying, for what purpose comes all these incense? What, your, your offerings don't mean anything. They are not acceptable, nor are your sacrifices sweet to me. He says, why is he telling these people all this? Because they were worshiping idols. And then they would turn around they would worship idols all week long, and then on the Sabbath day, they'd come in and, and try to give God his offerings. They wanted to play all the angles. Well, we're going we're gonna to take care of all these gods, and then, oh, by the way, we'll include God. We'll include Yahweh in the middle of this. We'll just go to a sacrifice and give him a sacrifice, give him, burn the incense, and he will bless us because he's our God. God doesn't want part-time sacrifice. He doesn't want part-time service. He wants us to be wholly surrendered to him. And this is what I've said several times. For me, I'm a, I'm a manager and planner. I like having plans A, B, C, D, E, F so that I can just drop to the next plan when something doesn't work. But when it comes to God and how I'm getting to heaven, I have one option, Jesus. If Jesus isn't who he says he is, I'm in trouble for eternity. Now, I know that he is because of how much he's blessed me and met my needs on earth. But I don't have to go, well, I want, I'm going to follow Jesus, but you know, I'm going to go over here and follow this God and this God and this God just in case. That doesn't work. That has to be all God. He wants 100% of our devotion or none. These people were trying to play it all different directions. If you're trying to believe in anything else, then you're not fully trusting him and believing in him the way he wants it believed in. So, and that's a big problem. If my faith and my trust is in God, then I don't need to even think about not trusting him. And mine is because he has proved himself over the years. Are they either like all or nothing? It has to be an all or nothing. Yeah, it has to be. It's almost like, and I hate to use this analogy, but you know, you're, you're playing poker and all of a sudden you have the, you have the royal flush in your hand. Maybe not a royal flush because that would be an absolute win. Yeah. But you're so absolutely sure that this is going to win that you put your entire pot in because you're just absolutely sure. And like I said, it's a terrible example, but 
it is what we're supposed to be doing with God. God, you are my all in all. All of my trust, all of my faith is in you. And if you're not who you say you are, I'm in trouble. And that was where we have to be. This is where salvation leads us, saying, I am guilty. I cannot do my own thing. I am guilty without God. Jesus died on that cross so that I could be forgiven. I am putting my whole faith in you, my whole trust in you. And I love the fact that we can check out the Bible and find out that what, most of what's in there we can prove to be true. And what we can't, we just have to, we, we may not understand a lot of it. And for me, that is perfect. That proves to me that it's God's word because if I could understand all of it, or if I could find somebody who said they understood all of it, it's too small to be God's word. I like that there are things in here that I struggle understanding. I like that I cannot understand God completely. You know, my son sent me a little text message saying that my grandson asked him today, if Jesus is one person, how can he be in everybody's heart? It's a very good question, and this is a five-year-old asking that question. So now he has to. Well, that's what I said. He has to teach his my grandson what omnipresence is, and how God can be everywhere, even though He's one. And at five years old, that's going to be a hard, hard lesson to teach. It's hard to teach an adult the idea of omnipresence. But this is where we're at. Are we willing to put our whole faith in something that makes no sense to us? How can God be everywhere at the same moment and still be personal with me uh, and with everybody, if everybody individually? But these are the things that are very hard for us to understand. How can God be three individual people yet only one? We can't fully understand the Trinity. And yet the Bible is very clear that the Trinity is a true statement. And this is what is really hard for us, you know, even as adults, to fully understand God and put our full trust in him. But our question is, what else are we going to trust in? I mean, I have looked at the other religions over time. I have looked at other ideas. Everything is nothing but futile when you boil them right down. But the really good news is... I've followed God for 50 years, and he's always been true to his word. Yes, I've had hard times, but he's been there with me through those hard times. He has been right there with me, and I have felt the comfort of his hand, even when I totally walked away from him for two years. I felt the comfort of him. Well, actually, I felt the conviction of him during that period of time. But he was right there saying, turn, listen, follow. And the question is, will we follow? The thing I love about Christianity is it's all about what God has done for me. Nothing about what I do for him. No other religion has that basis. Every other religion is what am I doing for that deity to please that deity. This is what sets Christianity apart. So in one aspect, all religions are the same. It's people trying to reach God. Christianity is God reaching man. And that's why we, don't, we like to say it's not even religion. It's a relationship with the God of the universe that he initiated. And this is the beautiful thing. All through this, the Jewish people did not, over most of their existence, deserve God's love and his care. 
Yeah, there were a handful of kings that the southern kingdom had that were good kings, a couple of times that they had a couple of good judges, but for the bulk of their existence, they have not deserved God's love and care. And even today, they don't deserve God's love and care. And they don't understand that their existence is a fulfillment of prophecy because they don't know the word of God. Even the old, they don't even know the Old Testament. They might know the first five books if they're somewhat religious, but most of them aren't even religious enough to know the first five books of the Bible. Now, the Orthodox Jews know the first five books of the Bible and some of the prophets, but they still don't understand, most of them don't understand that the, them being a nation was a fulfillment of prophecy. They just don't understand. Men, in fact, many of them think, well, this isn't God's, this isn't God's thing. Man did this, so it wasn't God. A decree out of England gave us our land, so it wasn't God. Well, a decree out of, from Cyrus gave them back their land after Nebuchadnezzar took them into captivity. So, and nobody denied that that was God. You know, during that period of time, they understood it was God. So the fact that it happened by a Gentile government did not negate the fact that God gave them back their land. And so, but they don't see it that way. They just see Gentiles gave us back this land, and so it's not really ours yet. And we're struggling with all these Arabs in our land, so it's not really our land. And so many of them, even in the Orthodox, do not acknowledge that their, the uh, prophecy has been fulfilled because it's enemy in the land, and they're still waiting for the Messiah to come and totally make them ruler over everything. And those are all the ones that are actually religious. But most of them don't even look, aren't, aren't even looking for a Messiah anymore because they just don't know the word. Verse uh, 21, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and sons together shall fall upon them. The neighbor and his friends shall perish. Now this is kind of a scary thought. It says the Lord will put stumbling blocks in front of them. Now, if you think about this, a stumbling block is something designed to make you fall or stumble. And God says, I am putting stumbling blocks. Why? They're so unrighteous, they're headed for judgment that God says, I'm going to make sure that you can't repent. I'm putting stumbling blocks in front of you. You've gone so far that there is no turning back. If we take this back again to Egypt and the ten, ten plagues, if you read the first four or so plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then all of a sudden it switches and says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, when you read that, Pharaoh was already inclined to harden his heart already, but God says, okay, we're taking this down, we're taking this down the path. I'm hardening your heart. You're, you've been saying no, 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 no. I'm just going to keep saying no until I destroy your nation. And there is a point in time where God says, stumbling blocks, you're going to go all the way down to judgment. I don't want to reach that place in my life. I'm going to, I want to repent before, long before I get stumbling blocks put in front of me and I have to fall flat on my face every time I turn around. And then you add to them that they're spiritually blind. They're walking into these stumbling blocks blind. And then they're stumbling over things and going, what was that? What did I just stumble over? Because they're spiritually blind and not understanding what's happening. So God gave them a choice. 
Well, you kept giving them choices, giving them choices, giving them choices, and then they, and then he says, I'm putting, oh, and Pharaoh, yeah, Pharaoh had the choice, and Pharaoh said no. Even when, even when God hardened his heart, he still had a choice, but God is already saying, you're now going to be inclined to get, get what you wanted. And how many times maybe have we done that because we have decided to walk the wrong way for so long and, and God starts, okay, say, fine, all right, you want to walk that way? I'm going to put stumbling blocks in your way. I'm going to put thing, things in you. And then he gives us that opportunity to repent. And is our heart truly to repent and say, God, I am turning away from whatever, anything, and turning to you? Yeah. I don't have to remember even exactly what I'm repenting from because repentance is a turning around from what I'm doing and turning to God. So it really doesn't matter what I turn away from. I turn to God and say, God, my full, I repent, I'm trusting completely in you. And I don't really need to know this, you know, especially if I've really been bad, I don't need to know every single thing that I've done. Anything I do remember, repent. Repent of the things I do remember. And if I don't remember, God, I'm sorry about all of those. I'm focused on you. And if he does bring him back, if it does come up later, say, I repented of that. I repent of that. Many times we as Christians, God, I'm sorry, you, got, you caught me. The consequences caught up with me. I'm sorry. But God knows our heart. And he says, well, I know that you're not truly sorry. You're not truly repentant. And this is where it really comes down to, am I really, truly going to repent before God, confess before God, and turn from my sin and turn to do things God's way? And it's easy to tell God, well, God, I just don't believe that it's going to work. You know, let's take something as simple as tithing. When people are not tithing and God asks them to tithe, what's the first thing they go to, they tell God? God, I can't live on 100%. How am I going to live on 90%? And they'll make excuses on why they can't do this. And I hear lots of pastors on the radio say, well, just give God something. No, God asks for the tithe. He says this is what he wants. I believe that our gifts do not even start until after the tithe. God is saying the tithe is what I expect. Not, not uh, well, I'm going to give God the leftovers. Well, I know that on a couple of times when I have forgotten to give God tithes, there's never any leftover. Where are we with God? When God says something to us, are we going to be obedient? Are we going to say, yes, God, I'm going to follow and do what you say, even if it makes no sense. And in our day and age, this is going to be a really big issue. God says that fornication, adultery, homosexuality, transgenderism is wrong, and we don't take a stand for what God says, and it's going to be real hard to take a stand because people are going to, it's politically incorrect to take a stand. It will make people angry at us for taking a stand. Are we willing to take a stand? Or are we just going to say, well, God, you know, I really believe they're wrong, but I can't, I can't make other people think that I'm one of those crazy Christian fanatics that, that, that have problems with all this. And, we're, and we compromise. And we compromise in so many little ways, and then we wonder why God is not giving us great blessings. <laughs> you know, uh, God, I've compromised here, here, and here, but God, I really expect that blessing goes back to what we said about the Jewish people. You know, not truly following and believing in God, but yet wanting to have God bless them. And then the more we compromise, the less we have an opportunity to ask God to help us. 
Now, his grace and mercy may still let him help us, but the compromises all have consequences, always. And when, we, when, we're, when God tells us something, we need to sit back and say, God, I understand. I need to follow you. Help me to be obedient. Help me to follow you in all that you're saying and, and doing. And he says, God, at some point says, I put these stumbling blocks in. Father, son will fall. Neighbors will fall because of the stumbling blocks. There will be, and if everybody's falling, there's nobody to pick up the people that are falling. And the, the, then 22, uh, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people come from the north country, and a great nation shall be raised up from the sides of the earth. They shall hold the bow and spear. They are, they are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride upon horses set in array as men of war against you, O daughter of Zion. This is the scripture of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's army marched everywhere they went and just ravished the land. And he was not known for mercy. He was very abusive to anybody who even surrendered. You were better off with Nebuchadnezzar to have died in battle than to have been his prisoner. He was not nice to prisoners. And when God finally brings judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, what was his thing? You treated my people too harshly, Nebuchadnezzar, and therefore you will be judged and taken out. And this is the description. He goes, there's a mighty, mighty army. They are cruel. They are vicious. He goes, they are raised up from the sides of the earth. They lay hold of spirit. They are cruel. They have no mercy. They roar like the sea, and they ride on horses, and they're arrayed for war. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took all of their cities around Jerusalem, and nothing stopped him. Jerusalem took him a little longer. He had to surround Jerusalem for two, years, two or three years to get it conquered. But outside of that, Jerusalem at that time was considered an unconquerable city. Nobody had ever conquered it since David had taken it. Huh? <laughs> well, all kinds of stories like this. Oh, yeah. And they're going, we cannot be conquered. And Nebuchadnezzar sweeps through their entire nation and then conquers Jerusalem. Not yet, but he's going to. And this was good God's warning. There's a nation coming that is so strong and so vicious that it will take over. And it says, verse 24, we have heard the fame thereof, our hands wax feeble, anguish has taken hold of us, and pain as a woman in travail. Our hands are sink down, it's literally wax, wax, uh, wax feeble means that their hands just flop down. Have you ever seen somebody that's totally at a loss of what to do, their shoulders are slumped, their hands are down, there's no strength in them. This is, the, this is what he's talking about. Everything about them has been just pushed down. They are depressed. They are unhappy. No strength to defend themselves. And if that wasn't about bad and, uh, good enough, he says, and the pain that you're having is as a woman in travail, having a baby. <laughs> All right? Uh, and that is got to be a painful thing. The only thing I remember about my first child is my wife just about broke my hand when, when, during the middle of the contra contractions. She had hold of my hand, and she doesn't have that kind of strength, but her, during the contraction, she squeezed my hand so hard, I thought it was going to be broken. So I know she was in a lot of pain. And I understand that it's a very painful 
thing to have a child. Uh, and he says, your pain will be like that of a mother giving birth. Now, that's a pretty painful conquering that they're going through. And, and then it says, go forth, go not forth into the field, nor walk by the way, for the sword of the enemy and the fear on every side. This is when they had Jerusalem's encircled. He's saying, you can't even go outside the city. Now, you know, we've been stuck for the last two years, more or less, in some places, you know, stuck in homes. Now, we were lucky here in Arizona, and especially in Mojave County, we have not been that, that locked down. But there are certain nations that have locked down their people almost completely for two solid years. And they cannot go out. And he's saying, you're stuck in this city, and they're going to be encircled for two to three years by Nebuchadnezzar and cannot go out without being in danger of the sword. Now, granted, they get to go outside their houses, but they can't get outside of the city and on, on the fear of death. And this is kind of a scary thought. I thought it was bad enough when I had COVID and, had to, and was forced to stay in my house for two weeks. I was going insane to get out. And he's saying, you can't get out of that city. You cannot go out in the, in the walk, or otherwise you might die. And how awful is this prophecy when we think about it? How much pain that God is bringing upon them as they're rejecting him. And they still don't even recognize God's doing all of this. This will be the same thing in the tribulation period when God is sending judgment after judgment after judgment on the people. And his goal isn't to harm people. His goal is to get their attention and say, I am God. Listen to me. Turn to me. And yet their hearts will be so hard that the majority of the people will not turn to God during that period of time. And God is just saying, I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention as he brings judgment after judgment upon the people, and they won't listen. And it's historic. It's happened over and over again. All through the scriptures, it happens over and over again. And yet, it's going to happen in the future. And, you know, it's very interesting. There are a lot of people that say history does not repeat itself. I'm going to tell them, yes, I understand what you're saying. The same person doesn't show up and have the same exact step-by-step thing, but history repeats itself over and over and over again. Some of the details may be different, but the same things happen. You, know, you watch nations get evil and, and, and God takes them down over and over again. And you, and you say, well, wasn't the same exact evil, wasn't the same person, wasn't the same nation, it doesn't matter. You know, be flexible enough to know that the players change, but the actions stay the same. It's just like if you play sports. If there's a play out there, you don't need every single player to be the exact player to, say, to run the play. All right? Uh, you know, I know football better than anything else. You're going to run a trap play through the center of the line. You don't need to have, you know, okay, well, gee, I don't have the same center on the field. I can't run the trap play. No, that trap play works no matter what center you put in there. It might work better with the first stringer than the second or third stringer, but it still can be played. And this is history. The players change, the details of the plays change, 
but the plays still happen. The history repeats over and over again and will, and will continue to re repeat until the end of the millennial kingdom when Satan is re released and then he tries to repeat the same things he's always done. You know, it's amazing that Satan has nothing new up his sleeve. When he gets released after a thousand years, he says God is not who he says he is. He's not fair. We need to go against him and he raises up an army to go against God. Same exact lie that he told the told the angels in heaven when they rebelled, same exact lie that he told Eve in the Garden of Eden, the same lie he tells all through these generations. And when he gets to the end of the Millennial Kingdom, he'll tell the same lie all over again. And there'll be people that listen to him, which is really sad because they've actually been directly ruled by God for a thousand years of almost perfection and still will rebel just as the angels in heaven rebelled against God and they lived in perfection. Just like Eve rebelled and Adam rebelled in a period of perfection, Satan will be able to turn people's hearts away from God because they don't fully trust in him even when they see him. And how many people say, well, if I just saw God, I would have no problem believing in him. The angels didn't, Adam and Eve didn't, and the at the end of the millennial kingdom there will be a large number of people who won't and those are three groups that saw God and followed him and yet it goes to show that the lie of if I saw God I believe is a lie if I see a miracle I believe is a lie if you won't believe you won't believe because you see anything because it's just not going to happen. verse 26 O daughter of my people, gird you with sackcloth and wallow yourself in ashes. Make your mornings as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon you. I have set you for a tower and a fortress among my people that you may know and try their way. They are all grievous revolters, walking with slanderers. They are brass and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows are burnt. The lead is consumed, the fire uh, consumed of the fire. The founder melts in vain, and the wicked are not plucked away. Reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord has rejected them. This is pretty strong words. <laughs> and he goes, and he's still calling her daughter. O oh, daughter of my people. Now, I think in this particular case, he's talking to the ones that truly are following the daughter of his people, the ones that are really seeking God, not enough of them to keep the judgment down. He says, daughter of my people, gird yourself in sackcloth. That was an image of somebody that was in repentance. All right? And wallow... <laughs> This is literally, I mean, normally you sat in the, in, the, in the ashes and poured them over your head. He's saying, wallow, roll around in the ashes. Not just put the ashes over your head, but wallow, roll around in those ashes. And he's picturing somebody who is totally in repentance. And he says, mourn and make mourning as for the only son. So be so sorrowful as if your only 
male son has passed away. All right. Now, we could put any child in this, but the male son in that particular age was the one that carried the name to the next generation, would get the great inheritance, make sure that the land, and if he was your only one, you had a problem. Because that meant your inheritance would go to the next, ma next male in line, which would have been an uncle. In this case, if it's the only son, it would have to have been an uncle or further back. And it says that would bring great mourning to them. And if you think about this, how many people in the scripture were upset that they did not have a child? You had Naomi, her two sons died, and she's going, I have no son for the inheritance. You have uh, Hannah, Samuel's mother. She is so sad that she goes in and weeps before God in the temple because she does not have a son. Elizabeth, and Zacharias and Elizabeth, she's wanting a son so bad that she's praying for it. Over and over we see these people who just want a son to carry on the name, to be the one that follows to them. And God is saying, all right, imagine you had this son. He's the apple of your eye. He's going to take the, take the inheritance and he dies. How, mourn, how much mourning would you have for that situation? And it's even more important in their day. All right, we kind of understand the idea of losing a child, even though many of us have not lost a child. But he's saying, it's your only son. Mourn like that. Most bitter lamentation for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. Suddenly, God's judgments come suddenly, even though he's warned us and warned us and warned us. In Jerusalem, they've been warned that Nebuchadnezzar's coming. And yet, when he finally gets there, it'll be sudden. We are looking as Christians at the rapture sometime soon. Maybe not even in our lifetime, even though I think it'll be in our lifetime. I know it's close. It's closer today than it was 2,000 years ago. They thought it was going to be any time in their lifetime. But you know, the good news is, one day that suddenly is going to happen. And Satan will then be given more of a free hand in this world. And suddenly, everything is going to change. One day, Jesus suddenly showed up into this world, lived a perfect life for 34 years, and died on a cross, and then suddenly rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven. When God moves, things happen quickly. We think about Joseph. He's sold into slavery. Then he's falsely accused of a crime that he did not commit and gives the interpretation of the dreams to the butcher and the baker who, who forget him. And then suddenly he's delivered out of, the, out of the dungeon and brought before the king and made number two in all the land. When God moves, it is sudden. The question is, will we stay faithful during all hard times to get to the sudden, to get to the suddenly. That's hard. When everything looks like it's falling apart, everything looks like nothing's going right. You know, I always think about Joseph, I and mean, that's a long time. 13 years of slavery and being a prisoner. And when he was a prisoner, he was going to be a prisoner for the rest of his life. 
and never get out of that prison. And then suddenly God fulfilled his word with him. Are we ready to do that when God delays by our standards and then suddenly does something for us? Very important for this. It happens so quick. And he says, I have set you, my, the daughter of Zion, for a tower and a fortress among my people that you may know and try their way. He says, I, you're going to be the tower. People are going to look to you and your faithfulness is going to be that standard. Are we ready to stand for God no matter what? Are we able to be able to be the ones that people are looking at? Now the world's going to look at us and accuse us and attack us and strike us. But you know, how many times have you seen somebody stand for God and you took, wow, I need to be more like that person. God, I need to be like that person who stands firm in the, in the trials. And these people who stand for God in the midst of trials really help bolster other people's faith. Because they get to go, wow, God is helping them. Maybe, just maybe, I can stand for God. And I can tell you, I've got all kinds of people in my life that I look at and I've seen they stood in the midst of a trial. And it might be something as simple as staying faithful when your family dies. Staying faithful when your house burns down. Staying faithful when you lose your job and it doesn't look like there's any hope. Staying faithful when your health falls apart and you stay focused on God. And you're the tower and the fortress that people look at and saying, wow, that person is good. And it's not that we're good, it's that God is faithful and we are staying faithful to him. And people look at us and they say, I want to be like that. I want to follow God in just that kind of manner. And this is the beauty of what is happening. Um, and now more about people that are not following them. They are all grievous revolters, walking with slanderers. They are brass and iron. They are corruptors. They are grievous revolters. Literally, this word means stubborn. They are stubborn and not just, not just stubborn, but grievously stubborn, very stubborn. How many people, and don't even raise hands or anything, but how many of us know people that are grievously stubborn? I have met so many of them over the life, and it's like, won't you just turn your heart to God? You know, and they'll tell you they believe in God. They'll tell you that everything's good, but they won't turn to God and get rid of their pride. And here he's saying, you are grievously stubborn, walking with slanderers. Now, slanderers are those that are saying bad things about other people. And if you're walking with slanderers, that means you are hearing them slander people. And, he's, and they're not saying anything is wrong. If you listen to slanderers, you're just as guilty as if you had been the slanderer yourself because you're giving them credence. And the worst thing about it is what they say affects the way you think about those people. And this is the sad thing when you listen to gossip, when you listen to bad things about people, it affects what you think about them. Even when you don't believe them, because it's a little doubt planted in your mind. Well, I wonder if what they're saying might not, can't be true. 
but you start thinking and then you hear somebody else say something negative about them and it's like that's okay that's two now that person may have picked it up from the same person who started it but it doesn't really matter now you've got two people saying it and you listen to enough people saying it and all of a sudden it starts wearing down your trust wearing down your your good thoughts about them and so don't walk with slanderers he goes they are brass and iron they are all corruptors and brass and iron gives this picture of mixed metals brass and iron is not near as strong as it should be because they are mixed metals they are polluted metal and this is a, not a good thing and it says they are all corruptors you know hopefully none of us are corruptors when we deal with people putting out bad thoughts, putting out negativity. But there are so many people, and we all know them, we've all been around them that are just so negative. They draw all the energy out of a room. They draw maybe even the energy out of you. You, know, you come in, you're excited, it's a wonderful day, and they're all, what a miserable day, this is terrible, I can't understand why anybody would ever be happy in this day, and you know, I can't understand why you're so happy, and they just totally drain you of any of your enthusiasm. They are corruptors. Not just that, but they can, there are people out there that will purposely try to drag us into sin. I had one really big experience with this. I was at a manager's thing, and they're going, well, you can take one drink. I go, no, I don't want to take a drink. And I have six people trying to get me to take a drink. And it's like, why? Why do you need me to take a drink? They were six people who were trying to be corruptors in the midst of my, my being. Now, in my case, they were all lost people, and it didn't matter to me what they said or what they thought. But what if this is a Christian that is leading you astray? And maybe not as extreme as that, but just little, little things they put in your mind, little things they try to get you to do. Yeah, God will forgive you, just like Satan with the hiss in their voice. You know, you can, you can do this. It's not that big a deal. It really isn't that bad. And they're trying to lead you astray and corrupt you. Their bellows are burnt. Lead is consumed in the fire. The founder melts in vain, and the wicked are not plucked away. The bellows are burning. They're trying to burn off. And what do you use the bellows for? To heat up the metal so that it can be shaped and or be smelted out and get out all the impurities. And God says, it's in vain. You're heating it up, but they're not stripping away the evil. And we need to be understanding that when we read God's word, it is a fire in us, and it should be revealing to us the evil so that we can scrape it away and be purified, or let God scrape it away and be purified. And he says, you know, these people, their bellows are burning away, and they're, and they're melting everything down. The lead is consumed. But the founder melts in vain. The wicked are not plucked away. The wicked are not stripped away from what's going on. And this is why we have to be careful who our best friends are. I'm not saying we, can't, we can hide completely from the world. Because that would be dumb. We can't evangelize if we don't, don't get out in the world. But who are our best friends? Who do we hang out with the most? Are there people that are going to edify, build us up? Or are there going to be people that lead us astray and draw us away? And then he says, reprobate or refuse silver shall men call them because the Lord has rejected them. 
Now, I'm not completely sure what refuse sugar, uh, silver is. I'm not a, not a metallurgy person. I'm taking that it would be the, the one that is filled with contaminants and everything. But he says, it is the junk. Let's put it that way, the junk. And he's going to say, the world is going to call them junk, rejected, because God has rejected. I never want to be somebody or something that God has rejected. And I know that I won't be because I have Jesus in my heart. I will never be rejected. I may be disciplined. I may be corrected. But I am not going to be rejected. Because God has said, I'm his child. And he will never completely reject. We're going to close here. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Lord, help us learn to stand for you in, in strength and trust in you in all that we do. Help us learn to... to walk after you and to seek you in all that we do and to just fully trust you in all that happens and we thank you in jesus name amen listening friend do you know where you'll go after you die without the gift of jesus it will be an eternity in hell without god good works will not get you there for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast to spend eternity with god we must recognize that we are sinners in need of christ for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.